0: This episode of The Sportsman's Empire is brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Since 1952, Interstate Batteries has been evoking compassion and a trustworthy spirit into the surrounding communities. Interstate Batteries is a mission-driven company fueled by purpose and guided by their values. If you need help locating a specific battery, stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and speak with a battery specialist. They even offer cell phone repairs. Interstate Batteries outrageously dependable all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of the hunting gear podcast i'm your host dan johnson and (laughs) i don't know why i'm laughing this this episode i i did it i'm happy i did it uh Ricky Bruley from the Range Podcast jumps on today. And here's what we talk about. We talk about (laughs) the impact on certain types of hunting products (laughs) throughout human history. And after I re-listened to this episode, I felt it was great. It's a great episode. But it, it made me want to go out and find an actual historian to talk about the impact that certain weapons had for hunting throughout the years. Like on this episode, we we have two non-historians, just, you know, I I guess fans of, of history, fans of hunting, and we just have kind of a BS session. Ultimately, that's what this episode is, it's a BS session. So we talk about spears, we talk about arrowheads, we talk about hunting strategy and how it may have evolved throughout human history and then we talk about modern hunting where we where we uh, discuss trail cameras where we discuss you know uh black powder rifles and and uh muskets and things like that that ultimately made hunting easier throughout the uh you know throughout history and then we talk about modern day hunting as well we talk about trail cameras we talk about digital mapping to, to, you know apps like hunt stand and onyx and things like that and what kind of impacts they have had on you know especially mature whitetails i feel like everybody wants to go shoot a big mature bucks a buck and i talk a little bit about my own experience where as soon as i got a trail camera I jumped up into what type of bucks I wanted to kill instantly the same year I got one. And, uh, yeah, I had to put in a lot of time after that in order to get close to those deer. But I knew that those types of deer existed. Therefore I'm passing smaller bucks. And so it was, it's a, it's, it's a fun episode. It's a BS session. I know you guys will like it. Uh, what do we got to do now? That's what today's episode is about. Do me a favor. If you haven't already, go check out fullsneakgear.com. It is a it's an apparel business that I just started. I got crew neck sweaters. I got the Nine Finger Chronicles hat. Uh, I got multiple T-shirts, including the brand new Slayer T-shirt. It is a uh, it's a black T-shirt. It looks it was actually created by a company in the Czech Republic that designs album covers for death metal bands believe it or not and i just went into a rabbit hole on the internet i said all right let's brainstorm some ideas and that's where i landed and so if you're looking for a t-shirt with a zombie deer on the front of it you got to go check out fullsneakgear.com and buy yourself one so there's that uh on top of that uh we do have to do a commercial for our paying partners and that is uh code blue Sense now First off, I've talked on the Hunting Gear Podcast with Code Blue, Blue Sense, and when you hear them talk about their products, one thing stands out, and that is the quality. They are very passionate about quality, right? And, and just like any type of product, whether it's a car, whether it's a dishwasher, a shirt, whatever, quality is very important, right? You get what you pay for. And so it's it's really cool to see and hear code blue talk about the quality checks that they put into or they've built into the proce- uh, process of the products that they they manufacture right and especially when it comes to the one deer per bag type of you know per, per cent packet that they sell and so that the quality you need to have that is very very high and so whether it's a real scent or a synthetic scent, or a scent elimination product, or my favorite, the preorbital uh, rope dope system that they have, it is very important uh, to have very quality, very fresh scents, and uh, only Code Blue can do that. So if you're looking for, uh, whether it's real synthetic scents, a scent elimination products, the rope Mock Scrape Kit, please go out. And go check out codebluesense.com, discount code NFC20 for 20% off. Uh, I, in fact, here probably in March sometime, I'm going to try to uh, mix it in with the shed hunting that I do this year. But I'm going to say this. I'm going to be putting in a lot of time into mock scrapes this year, including the Rope-A-Dope Mox, you know, the rope dope system. So please do me a favor, go check out CodeBlueSense.com, go check out FullSneakGear.com, uh, go check out Sportsman'sEmpire.com. We have a ton of great uh, podcasts coming down the pipe every single week uh, at the Sportsman's Empire, and it's about hunting, it's about the outdoors, it's about everything that we love about the North American hunting and fishing and, and conservation, uh, everything that you know, passionate people just sharing stories and talking about the the stuff that we that we really love. So, please go out, find a different podcast that you've never listened to before, give it a try. And I'm, you know, they go they all go through a, a pretty rigorous vetting system, so I don't just let garbage come on the network. Uh, go check it out. Go find a podcast on the network that you've never listened to before. Go check it out, and uh, I'm almost positive you'll walk away with something from from these podcasts. So, uh, good vibes, ladies and gentlemen. Good vibes in, good vibes out. Let's start today's podcast where (laughs) two dudes who don't know anything about history uh, talk about history. (laughs) So, you have a good one, and we'll talk to you when we talk to you. Three, two, one. All right, welcome to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host Dan Johnson, and today we are talking with another member of the Sportsman's Empire, Ricky Bruley. Rick, what is going on, man?
1: Not much, man. I'm doing doing fantastic. How are you?
0: I'm good. Did I say your last name right?
1: Uh, I think so. Bruley. Um, I think you. Yeah, you Brule. said it right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. You know, I didn't know if the E was silent or not yeah sometimes it's pretty common for people to say it um, mispronounce it and for a while there I just kind of got used to it and yeah. just didn't say anything and then I had people get mad at me they're like dude you gotta tell me what your name is it's not cool that I've been calling you this all this time and <laughs> I'm just like so laid back with it that I just it's all good but
0: when, yeah you said it right when I was younger I always wish my name was more complicated because there's literally nothing <laughs> easier than Dan Johnson Okay. Yeah, right. And so, and so, you know, it's like, Hey, I heard this, I heard Dan Johnson was at a party, you know, when I was in high school, I was like, Oh, it must've been a different Dan Johnson. Nope. 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 If my name was like <laughs> Theodore Shezaskowski or something like that. Right. <laughs> so it was like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. Right. Everybody forgets the people with complicated names, but definitely not me. I was easy to pick out.
1: Yeah, back in the day, your name was probably in contention for uh, John Doe with an unidentified exactly, mail. exactly,
0: <laughs> exactly. That's Dan Johnson.
1: Dan Johnson probably yeah. did it.
0: So, um,
1: yeah. well, in all fairness, you're the only Dan Johnson I know. So really, really, <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, I know a lot of Johnsons, but no Dans. True story. Uh, I had a check for oh, this was a, this was several years ago. I had a check for three thousand dollars. Okay, mm. and I took it to the bank deposited it but it never showed up in my account and so I had to go back to the bank they're like oh no we we you didn't deposit any checks we have we have no record of that well oh, wow. long story short they ended up putting it into the account of a different Dan Johnson so in Oof. in my town of oh, back in the day there was probably 8,000 8,000 people in my town there mm-hmm. were 54 Dan Johnsons that, that bank, there's 54 Dan Johnsons that banked at the same bank as me. And so oh, they, wow. I go, you got it. You got to have a better system than this, right? You're, I mean, you're a bank. You should, there's no yeah. way this, these types of mistakes should be happening.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's why we all have
0: like a, what a nine digit number, right? Oh, yeah. For, all that you know, stuff. I mean, all that come stuff. On. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, how'd your season go this year
1: uh well relatively um good i guess uh, i got out a few times but not not as much as i'd like to and that's okay yeah um i did uh i got to spend a week up in the boundary waters of minnesota just to get away and and i didn't draw any western tags that was my main focus this year didn't draw any tags so i just decided to go up and do some fishing and just relax and get away and yeah. and that's That's pretty much what I did. I just busted out the camera and just filmed and tried to be as, uh, as, um, primitive as I could, you know, trying to light fires with feral rods and goof around and do stuff like that. It was a blast a good time, but, um, yeah, so didn't get to hunt as much as I'd like to, but, uh, looking forward to this next upcoming season, I should draw some tags and should be able to get out and do some, do some running around with my bow in my hand.
0: Yeah. I'll say this, man. Even some of those adventures like what you said, the Boundary Waters, I mean, it's not hunting per se. You might be able to do a little Mm -hmm. bit of fishing in some of that. Uh, I know guys who have hunted up there in the Boundary Waters on some of those islands. But Mm -hmm. just doing something like that is pretty sweet. I can remember when I was in high school and I was in Boy Scouts, uh, we went on a 55-mile canoe trip that lasted, I want to say five, five days. It's called the yeah, current, okay. current river down in uh, the border between Missouri and Arkansas, somewhere in that area. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, it was fun, man. It, it, it just yeah. on a canoe that was back then before cell phones or anything like that. So it was on a canoe yeah. on the river, everything you needed, all your food, all your tent, all your sleeping equipment, like, like you said, fire starter, all that stuff in the canoe. And, uh, mm-hmm. man, I, I still remember how much fun I had on that trip, man. It, it was so much fun. <laughs>
1: yeah. Those are the things, those are core memories, man. You're yeah. never going to
0: forget about that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, sounds like a blast. Yeah. All right. Yesterday or last week, mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, uh, what, what's an idea for the hunting gear podcast. And I had just finished watching some type of random youtube video about uh broad or not broadheads but um uh arrowheads right and how native americans and all the like even in africa and things like that all the like the history of hunting right yeah kind of popped into my head so i sent you an email and said hey you want to hop on the the podcast and here we are and so i don't really know where to go we're going to call this a bs session Ah. because i don't know where to start I don't know how, I don't know how this is going to end, but in the history of humans, let's, let's, let's take it back. And by the way, we are not historians. So (laughs) like, if you are a historian and you're listening to this, I'd love to have you come on the podcast. But from this point of the show, it's two dudes who really love hunting, just speculating on what things could have or, or are, if that makes sense.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. So my first random question to you is, do you think that there was a time in human history where there was an object or a strategy or some type of method of hunting that resulted in uh, an easier take of wild game or uh, resulted in more animals being killed?
1: Oof, that's tough, and I'm really glad that you prefaced that we're not historians, because um, obviously, <laughs> obviously, this is going to be based on the the knowledge or lack thereof that exactly, I have. I mean, exactly. obviously, I've, I'm I'm a history buff, so I do like to dive into that kind of stuff. And you know, me and my daughter recently been watching this uh, program um, on Netflix, and it's just about you know, um, life and and you know, survival of the fittest. You know, two million years ago. 72 million years, I mean, way back, right? So it's been, it's really interesting. Um, But in any case, yeah, I, man, I don't know. Like, I got all kinds of things going through my head. I'm thinking, like, you know, um, trapping. Uh, That was one that didn't really cross my mind immediately. But then I was thinking about, you know, like the old net, you know, that something walks into and boom, you know, um, oh, yeah, catches them that way or, or, uh, because, you know, I think about some of the most elusive critters uh in modern times right so uh, like wolves for example are not easy to hunt they're very very elusive and um hopefully i don't get some people fired up about this because you know it's a hot kind of a hot button issue but um like in minnesota when we first had a season here which well in a long time since they delisted this was gosh i don't know maybe eight years ago or something like that we had a season and i would say probably well, I probably shouldn't throw out percentages or figures, but I would definitely say a majority of those wolves were taken by a trapping. Okay. Uh, just simply because they're they're so elusive. And, um, you know, snare trapping, I think, was one of the more common ways of doing it. And it's it's kind of a passive way of doing it, too. You know what I mean? You don't have to put a lot of energy in it, set a bunch of traps and step away and then come check them on a daily basis. So yeah. I, w- I would like to think that that would be probably one of the methods – you know in a, in a more primitive time that perhaps had the most success but i also don't do a lot of trapping myself so i just yeah. i figured it'd be best for me to explain it in that way the other thing i guess i think about is you know probably some sort of strategy right so yeah. you get group you get groups of uh individuals together and you kind of start to figure out how animals work and then you work together as a team mm-hmm. uh, and and i feel like that would be a good method but speaking more specifically about weaponry uh boy back in the early days i gotta say it was probably a spear something like that yeah. you know i I imagine that was probably invented prior to the bow and arrow yeah so i guess that's where i'd go with that
0: yeah i'll tell you this and that's that's crazy that we're ta- having a conversation about hunting gear and equipment that happened before like recorded history right and so yeah. and so I would, I would think that the groups of people had, so, you know, like, there, there was a time when humans didn't have to, weren't using probably tools. I mean, even primates, monkeys use tools, right? Like uh, oh, yeah. rocks to smash, smash each other's heads or throwing stuff or, or even the yeah. primates that, you know, they lick the, straw, the, the piece of grass and they dip it into the ant hole right? So, and then they, they eat the ants off the stick. Right. And so Mm. those are all different types of tools that primates Mm. have used, but then as the, our brain evolved and we, we stepped away from, uh, primates, I guess you would say the, the strategy and style become, became more complex in how we acquired meat. And so I think you know like wolves right they work as a team almost all the time like you don't you don't ever you rarely hear a story mm-hmm. about a wolf going out by itself right unless it's right. The, you know they're working as a team so i would think mm-hmm. that and this is one thing that i found very interesting is like these early humans would group together and then they would push buffalo or wild game off of a cliff and then they'd yeah. all fall to their death and then that's how so that strategy worked very well. You you corral them in, you push them up into a high spot, and you put you, you scare the shit out of them over the the edge, and and that's how. Yep. So that's from a strategy standpoint. But I wonder, you know, I found a couple arrowheads in my life. I wonder when the spear, sharpened from a straight stick, actually went to a spear with a. Uh, an arrowhead on it or a spear tip on it how that would have worked because my assumption is now you have foc up front you're, you're there's generating more momentum and potentially depending on what your spear looked like the stability of it potentially got uh stiffer thus you're more accurate with your throw, you can practice and become more accurate. So I wonder if there was an uptick in in accuracy of killing game when they added a stone tip to those spears.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it, you could apply it to, you know, even modern even your modern day setup, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to use a field point to mm-hmm. you know, shoot a deer or shoot an animal. I mean, you could. And if you were accurate, it would function. It would, it would probably work. Uh, but you know, just knowing that having a, you know, a broadhead of some sort on there is most certainly going to increase your chances, especially in a situation where you might not be as accurate, you know, as
0: you
1: you know, some of the cutting diameters on some of these heads is just getting silly. Right. But again, um, and some of the ones that have these giant cuts, like me and some buddies, we kind of joke about them. We, We call them the best bad shot broadheads because, you can get away with, you know, maybe being a little bit off and still, you know, maybe, you know, uh, you know, graze the, you know, the aorta on the heart or, you know, just, just catch something where you may have not had a lethal shot, you know, just again, trying to create as much hemorrhaging as possible yeah. in order to make sure that an animal goes down. So without a doubt, um, I think you're right there. Most certainly
0: help on. Yeah. Um, I, this is the fascinating part of these conversations is the first, like the first person, right? Imagine a guy sitting around a fire that he built and he's got his spear and he's just wasting time, right? He's, yeah, he's not yeah. on a hunt. He's not doing anything around his camp. He's just sitting, maybe warming up. He looks down at a, at a rock or he, he throws a rock and it chips another rock and it makes a sharp, sharp. And he, and he is that first person person in human history to go, I'm going to put this rock on my spear and I'm going to see what happens yeah. to it. Right. <laughs> and then, and then how he would then communicate that to other people in his group or tribe or, or mm-hmm. whatever it was. And so those are the types of things. Where it's like the first person to ever create artificial fire right by slamming two rocks mm-hmm. together. Right. It, it's just those types of moments have this gigantic impact in human history moving forward because without mm-hmm. fire, you know, we don't have this fake heat and we have to be more nomadic throughout the year mm-hmm. and go th- travel south and things like that. So uh, it's crazy. Like those types of moments by, you know, like, Oh, I'm the first guy to ever put an arrowhead on us sp- on us sp- or even attempt to make one. And as someone is watching him, the they'd come up and go well try this and then that works and now this yeah. guy and this guy are working together to try i don't know i'm a kind of a nerd on things like that and I, <laughs> I i just really think that if i if i could be a fly on a wall it'd be moments like that i would love to go back in human history and just be a fly on the wall and watch that all go yeah. down so um, yeah i mean
1: you, you have to wonder if like if a guy was you know if they were just I don't know what, you know, just kicking it or, you know, goofing around and throwing rocks or maybe that's what happened. Maybe, you know, because that might have been one of the most primitive weapons uh, of its time and, you know, just throwing rocks around and created a spark and lit a piece of grass on fire. Everybody looked at each other wide-eyed like, what the heck, okay, and then start goofing around, you know, and start, and what even boggles my mind even more is to think about having the sheer amount of time that you would be able to have to just like experiment and play oh, around yeah. with things, right? Can Absolutely. You imagine just, just being, you know, if you don't, you bored out of your mind, other, you know, otherwise. So you're just experimenting and playing and, and constantly trying to improve, and and then how even that sort of technology just expands amongst people through word yeah. of mouth and oh, look at this,
0: check this out, you know, between tribes and yeah, yeah that blows my mind too. Yeah, yeah. Because eventually, what what is happening is throughout human history, you're seeing methods, and we could even argue that it, it's still happening in today's uh, hunting, where everything makes hunting easier. Back mm-hmm. then, it had c- carried more weight because we didn't have grocery stores, right? We had to hunt f- meat, and we had you know, for our basic survival. And now it's it's taken on a completely different role, but it's still everything, everything in human history is kind of focused on making hunting easier. I wonder, Uh I wonder if, um, like wonder what was, what were some of the first weapons, uh, that they had like, you know, the spear, obviously I wonder if once archery became a thing and they were making, you know, projectiles now that like a bow or a a spear is probably if i'm gonna guess a spear is probably one of the first outside of a rock a spear is probably one of the first weapons and then from that came some kind of other projectile like an atlatl or the you know a traditional archery you know a bow made out of a stick and some intestines or things like that and they're launching arrows and things like that and and i i I always think about you know once the the bow and arrow were invented if that was more efficient than a spear or any other type of you know throwing a rock or, or things like that
1: yeah definitely i mean you know, I think a, I suppose spears probably maybe got, you know, smaller and thinner as they, you know, uh, you know, honed in the technology or whatever back then. But most certainly, I mean, you even if you think back to, you know, wartime stuff, mm-hmm. uh, if you had an army that didn't have archers, you probably weren't going to win that battle you know just having that long distance advantage i think was was tremendous yeah and so yeah without a doubt having the projectile and you know and then just continuously fine tuning it i mean think about the gigantic crossbows they had mm-hmm. that they would shoot these giant spears at people you know stuff like that and maybe that didn't really happen maybe i'm just thinking of like lord of the rings or something <laughs> like that and, and they were just trying to shoot giant ogres I, yeah. I have no idea but um you know i it's just most certainly you know some type of a projectile uh, probably moved that yeah pretty quickly yeah
0: yeah and now we fast forward you know there's all these different weapons and now we fast forward to i don't know i i don't even know if i would call this modern day but the introduction of black powder and muskets or using black powder to you know, in, in in the first modern day gun and you can even fast forward that into the first modern day rifle, right? And I'm yeah. I'm assuming mm-hmm. that once the gun, once the rifle or even the musket was invented, then there was even a, a greater step up in acquiring meat for I mean it yeah. was it, it had to have been easier.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, guaranteed. I mean, and some historians may correct me on this. I believe it was the 4570 that almost single-handedly, um, you know, took out the bison, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So, um, and that wasn't even for the meat. That was just for, and again, I, this is based on my knowledge. I have a few friends that would, would be able to uh, verify this. Can I phone a friend real quick? Um, (laughs) but, uh, I believe it was mostly just for the leather, uh, yes, because they, they it was during the industrial Revo- or just before the industrial revolution or during it, they needed the leather to create uh, make belts uh, to run some of the machines, and I think that's where a majority of of all of those kills went. Um, and, and there then, was a
0: huge fashion uh, craze in Europe for buffalo fur.
1: Yep, absolutely, that makes sense too, for sure. Yep. Um, But yeah, I mean, you just think about that, you know, that rifle, um, you know, and who's to say you know if if the native americans were so inclined they probably could have wiped out the species with bow and arrow as well but they yeah. were just more mindful of the fact that yeah. you know, it just doesn't make sense to do that right yeah. it's for sustainability reasons
0: exactly so. exactly and so you know obviously i mean even modern day right if my goal is to acquire meat based off of the survival of my species or of my family I'm taking a gun out into the woods over a bow, over whatever the case may be, right? So obviously, yep. from w- when we talk about efficiency, well, hey, I tell you what, let's do something fun here. Let's talk about in try to put them in order. What weapon, highest to lowest, is the greatest efficiency to put meat in the freezer? You know, I think we can both agree that a rifle is number one on the top of the list right what what's number two
1: yeah i hate to say it but rifle uh um definitely i mean just like you said i I mean i my my hunting now is limited and and so if i go turkey hunting i always start with the shotgun now i used to be really like diehard like i'm never going to use a shotgun i'm always going to do it with a bow and now it's like um you know my opportunities at getting out and turkey hunting are much more reliant upon me bringing home some meat and if I don't do that then those opportunities get fewer and fewer so yeah definitely um definitely the gun boy uh number two hoof um man again I almost have I would almost have to say you know it's it's certainly a skill that needs to be uh, honed over time. But I think anybody who is really proficient and good at trapping, I think is probably number two. Yeah. Because again, you don't have to rely on the skills of stocking. You don't have to rely on all of that kind of stuff. You just have to set traps and yeah. let them do the work.
0: Yeah. And I would say that that is hunting 24 hours a day, right? Yeah. You're hunting, yeah. even though you can't, you you're not hunting, right? So you have yeah. a system of take, out there that's working for you 24 hours if you're good at it yeah if you're good at it
1: yeah yeah and in in this day and age i i don't know that trapping is used as much for meat as it is probably for hides yeah, and for other things but again if we're if we're talking about straight strict survival and it you know you eat whatever you can trap then i think that's
0: number two yeah absolutely all right so so after that then um i'm guessing my guess is crossbow. If we go firearms, we go trapping and then crossbow would be more efficient, easier to acquire meat with than archery equipment.
1: Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately I have to agree with you on that one.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, bummer. <laughs> <laughs> And we, that's a whole nother story. We won't even get into that. Yeah. So this, so we'll just edit out the part where we make fun of people who shoot crossbows. <laughs> I'm just joking guys. It's a joke. Yeah. Okay. Cause some people can get pretty butt hurt about, oh, yeah. that, about yeah. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, archery equipment and then obviously trad, right. I know there are some mm-hmm. States that do allow you to hunt with spears and add a Right and things Mm -hmm. and things like that, and I'm sure Mm -hmm. in every situation, right in every environment, there is probably a method of take that is uh, better. Like in the wide open, uh, the wide open, a rifle would be the best bet. But if you're hunting elk in black timber, a bow might be just as beneficial than a rifle if you're accurate with a bow. Number one, mm-hmm. uh, you get, you're gonna get in tight and number two, if you miss, you're not gonna scare the animals away. So yeah. yep. I don't know is what it is. yeah
1: yeah, I can agree with that yeah, yeah. I almost, and then I was thinking about something too as you were talking, but we might have to maybe this is too ridiculous to even count, but we may have to take everything and shift it down a notch because what about um, what about rifles from helicopters? I think that's number
0: one. (laughs) Just imagine... Dude, I wouldn't be surprised, right? So, obviously, they have those guys who are shooting, like, damn near automatic rifles out of uh, helicopters when when hunting pigs, right? Yeah. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not... You talk about, oh, it would be crazy to hunt elk or deer with a rifle from a helicopter. But Mm. if... Dude, it I I bet you it's not that far out of the world we live in that someone is mm-hmm. going to be like, "Hey, listen, uh I would like to introduce helicopter hunting with a machine gun f- you know for for elk, right? Or or deer or something <laughs> like that. It would blow people's mind, then it would get voted in and then 30 years would go by. And people would be like, oh, I've been hunting from a helicopter with an automatic rifle for, for 30 years now, right? It, you know, <laughs> don't take that away from me, right? <laughs> uh, um, it's nuts. It's nuts. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I want to shift now to what we would call modern-day hunting. And that would be when we no longer need to rely on our hunting skills to get us meat, right? We could be shitty hunters if we don't get our meat. Well, hell, let's go to the grocery store and get our food, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've already really talked about that in in some way. I mean, it's not – all the weapons are going to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about efficiency, and really you can get it done with just about any method these days, um, tree stand, right? that's that's something that i would like to talk about a second do you think that once hunters left the ground and started hunting in trees they became and i'm sure i'm sure it had it's not like what we know today where they had a hang-on tree stand back in the day right but the second that they left the ground and be you know perch themselves in trees do you think that had a bigger impact in success rates of hunting
1: yeah i think it did and it it might have had an impact on the mortality rate of the hunters as well i mean if you're (laughs) just climbing a tree and sitting on a branch you know what i mean right i think about i think about times where i've all the times i've shot deer sitting in a tree and the just the feeling you get afterwards if i didn't if i wasn't tethered to that tree man i'd be on the ground with a broken ankle you know yep. so you just get jazzed up and just excited but yeah definitely uh you know just being able to get your scent up and off the ground you know i think that gives you somewhat of an advantage and you know again just being able to get away with a little bit more movement mm-hmm. uh, not having to focus so much on like here in minnesota if you if you're going to hunt from the ground uh it just that movement is really tough and even if you have a ground blind or something and you haven't had it set up for a long time and it's brushed in really good, deer really pick, they'll pick them out pretty good and they get yep. they get pretty spooky unless of course it's turkey season then they don't seem to care but if they, they, yeah. they like they know it's hunting season they're like what is that thing and they just bail out of there so yep. certainly uh, getting up in a tree um, was a was a major advan- advancement in
0: yeah. hunting for sure. I mean at one point tree stands were illegal in iowa i know they were in iowa oh really? yeah you could wow. you could not use a tree stand when you started hunting and i think even i think i even heard a guy in michigan say that at some at one point tree stands were illegal in several states once they started coming out because they thought it, it was such a huge advantage to the deer i mean just imagine being the first guy ever to walk into a piece of public or on a piece of property with a, a tree stand and watching the deer, probably my guess is have no clue what's going on. Even mm. if they smelled you, they're like, "Wait, I can see in front of me. There's no threat there. What? Where, mm. Where's this threat coming from?" Right? I bet. Yeah. I bet you that that would definitely be uh, something to to see. That'd be cool.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah um the next thing modern hunting right and i want to talk about mature bucks right because that's what in this hunting industry everybody wants big big giant antlered white tails right yep mm-hmm. what do you think from from the modern hunting era what do you think resulted in one of the uh what product or a piece of hunting gear and equipment, maybe even a strategy that was the most effective for killing a mature big antlered whitetail.
1: Uh well, I think more gen on a more general scope, I think technology has probably been a major part of that. Mm-hmm. And then more specifically, probably trail cameras. Yeah. Um and then even, you know, I was gonna say i was gonna say drones but that's probably i mean that probably came and and went so quickly as far as them becoming legal that i don't know that too many people had opportunities to do that but right most certainly i mean you think back to even you know back when they there was just event timers right like mm-hmm. you would just run a little string across a trail and then if something would trigger the string it's like then you would go oh i knew something was here at some point mm-hmm. right And so now you can hone in on a specific area because you know, something's moving through there at a specific time, right? Like you can see there's a deer trail there, but you don't know if it's at night or not. But now you're like, Ooh, I'm seeing some daytime movement. You know, of course that takes a lot more work and you know, you're leaving your scent and all that kind of stuff. And now you can set a trail camera and never have to set foot in there and you can see all the photos. Um, and, and, and me personally, I, I don't have. I think there I think it's great. I think it adds a, a a little bit more excitement to the sport. I think it brings a lot of people in. And part of the reason I say that is I just recorded a podcast with um, a, a friend of mine uh, just the other just last week, and he's an adult onset hunter. He's only been hunting for five years, but where he gets excited is seeing the pictures. Like he's seen all the pictures of the deer, and he's just jacked up, and he's like ready. Mm-hmm. To get out and can't wait to get out and share, you know, he's like the social community that it creates where you're sharing the photos with your buddies and you're all getting excited and getting pumped up. And so, um, but yeah, I, I would definitely say it has, it has to be technology for sure.
0: Yeah. And I, I can, I can agree with that because I was a, if it's Brown, it's down Hunter. All right. And I can remember getting my first ever trail camera. It was a moultrie. It was gigantic. I mean, it was the size of a VCR, damn near, or a, mm-hmm. a DVD player, with little bungee strings that you would. And so, at the end of the season, after it's been, they've been weathered, the bungee the bungee strings had no bungee left in them, and so they yeah. would it would sag, and so you had to like <laughs> wrap it around the tree again to get the tightness. And and they were only like a uh, one season use, and then you'd have to order more bungee strings anyway. Yeah. <laughs> big big uh D batteries, you know, huge batteries that went with them film, right? And so I I went to the uh I went to uh, the the farmer after I got the pictures developed, handed him the pictures and I go, "Look at this buck right here. This buck is huge, right?" And he goes, mm-hmm. "Uh no, move your move your trail camera over to the corner of this field and then see what you what you have." Long story short, he was telling me, like, there's so much more out here. If once you learn how to use these things, then you, that you will see that there's bigger bucks. And of course, mm-hmm. I put it in the corner, I get the bigger buck. And so for me, when I was 26 years old, first season I ever hunted, I had a trail camera. And that trail camera told me that there were bigger deer out there. And it instantly, I went from it's brown I went from it's brown, it's down to four-year-olds. Like, I didn't, I didn't, I did not stair-step up. I did not shoot a ton of spikes, right? I, I, I honestly think my smallest, the smallest deer I've ever shot is like, if it had both of its, the first deer I ever shot uh, was a half-rack buck. But if it had its other side, it was a four-year-old probably in the 140s. And to this day, yeah. it's one of the. You know, other than a couple deformed deer that just, from a measuring standpoint, they look big, but from a measuring standpoint, they're a smaller antlered deer. But outside of that, trail cameras had the largest impact for me on just telling myself, dude, I'm if I if you want the biggest antlered deer, they're out there, but you have to go find them, right? And so yeah. you'd get a picture of the the giant. And then you, okay, what do I need to do to get get this? And that led to me passing everything that was, you know, one, two, and three years old.
1: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I can, you know, I haven't had a ton of opportunities when it comes to like cameras because, um, you know, some of the ground that I, that I hunt, some of the private ground that I have available to me, there, there's not a lot of, uh, You know, there's the landowners like, oh, there's a huge buck out there. But, you know, his idea of a huge buck is different than mine. Right. And, you know, and so I've gotten a few bucks on camera and stuff. And then you're kind of like, okay, well, there's some out there. And I've always relied on that property for meat. You know, I can always I can always shoot a doe off of that property. No problem every year without a doubt. Uh, but then there was one year that I did get, you know, probably a decent 140 inch white tail. And so then I, then I really started hunting hard mm-hmm. and I was spending a lot of time out there and I ended up filling three doe tags in the process. So again, when it's, when you talk about the mortality rate of, of white tails, you know what I mean? Like I, if I hadn't been out there as much as I was, I probably would have only taken the one doe that I usually take and that's it. Mm-hmm. But I was spending so much time hunting, um, and, and just getting after it. And so to, you know, exactly to your point when you know that bigger buck is out there you're you're most certainly going to spend a lot more time you're going to be yeah. sitting all well hopefully you're sitting all day sits but
0: yeah um yeah and I, then and then i, I think too i don't all day sit ever i hate it by the way <laughs> i don't like it's it hard. <laughs> it's hard it's
1: It's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. It's probably one of the more difficult things that that I've done. And then, you know, like we talked in the last podcast I did with you on Nine Figure Chronicles, too, ADHD doesn't help that much. That's right. (laughs) It makes it it very difficult, you know. So there's times where I've literally just climbed out of the tree and, and took a little nap, you know, at the base of the tree just to just to kind of pass a little bit of time by, and right. know, as I might've, might've been the classic, uh, you know, painting of me sleeping. And there's a buck kind of looking over at, you know, giant buck looking over at me from 20 yards away. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, and I think going back to talking about technology too, I suppose, uh, you know, scouting software is probably yes. another big one. Yes. Um, you know, having the ability to, I mean, gosh, now, now you can look at your stand and with some apps and see which, direction the wind is at your, at that stand location. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's cool. And then at the same, you know, as long as we continue to have regulations and things like that on the number of deer that can get taken, I don't, I don't, I don't get too worried about it, but, um, I can see too where, you know, again, going back to, I have an argument on crossbows and there's other people that would argue against that. So, um, You know, this I suppose the same thing goes for technology too. It definitely uh, gives gives an advantage, and whether you think that it's a a moral advantage or not, I guess it's always going to be up for debate. But
0: do you think that Onyx and Hunt Stand and those types of uh, that type of technology? Do you think that has led to more mature whitetails? getting or just deer or or animals in general getting shot
1: Ooh, um i don't know that's a tough one i guess i guess in conjunction with trail cameras probably Mm -hmm. uh just now you have the now you have ways of mapping it out you know and seeing you know an, an overhead picture of where those bucks are kind of moving because you know i'm a visual guy so i like to be able to see okay on this day he was over here and on this day he was over here and you can start kind of finding a pattern um so i think in conjunction with trail cameras yes um stand alone boy i don't know I, it's hard to say there might be there might be some tools or some aspects that i don't know about you know because there's so many different apps and so many different things ha- coming out now that yeah
0: um
1: i i primarily use onyx and um, one of the things that I love about it is the, you know, the blood trailing, um, you know, portion of it, you know, where you, you find a spot of blood and you can mark it, you know, and then now all of a sudden you look and you can see that trail, um, yep. which can then help you kind of lead you to find the next spot of blood if everything's getting pretty spotty. And I think all the apps have the ability to do that. Yep. Um,
0: but yeah, yeah, I, I'm obviously uh, that that type of software has led people to go in to pieces of property especially public land that were off the beaten trail that may not have been otherwise known as public and so uh, there's probably less honey holes out there now than there used to be Mm -hmm. but i will say that what What it's done is it has allowed people to feel more comfortable getting in deeper where game is living as opposed to just 300, 400 yards off a road, right? Mm -hmm. And so in that way, I feel like it has led to more success, maybe not necessarily mature animals, but then one could argue if you do go back and you are finding deer that are animals that nobody else has been hunting automatically you're going to run into more mature animals just just because nobody's been hunting let's say this little area right and Mm -hmm. so and so it could have i bet you initially it did but now that everybody dude everybody every hunter has some type of software especially when you're out west and you're hunting these large expanses of unless you're a local right and you actually know the environment but for me everybody that i've ever ran out to uh in south dakota or colorado or wherever the first thing we did do is pull out our phones say hey i saw a deer here oh i saw an elk here well i saw a you know a mule deer here here and you share information or antelope like i went to a uh i ran into an antelope hunter i he was hunting antelope i was hunting mule deer and we just exchanged information based off of our our map and so that then can those types of that type of communication can lead to locating more game and so uh does it does it impact the amount of mature deer i'm i'm sure at some point it does Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah and and you that kind of uh, stirred up some thoughts in my mind too that made me think about some other things that could attribute to to you know larger or I should say trophy deer mm-hmm. hunting success in that um you know a couple things because one now these apps have provided you information to the landowner Mm-hmm. So now you have more access to, you know, finding out who, you know, because they may not live on that property, but now you're like, okay, I know who owns the property. I know, I you know, it just helps lead you um, to maybe getting access to that property where there may be a, you know, maybe you watched a buck go off of, you know, from one piece of public into this other one, or um, yeah, from one piece of public into private. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, so, you, you know, you contact the private landowner and, they give you access so there's that Yep. I guess and the other thing is too is the biggest mule deer that I've taken out of South Dakota um, I was able to pretty accurately pinpoint his location on on X mm-hmm. based on you know where I was glassing him from and so I was able to set that point and even though I couldn't see that deer you know I was probably I don't know three-quarters of a mile away when I spotted him and ended up working my way into 40 yards and killed him. But not one time did I ever see that deer until I got to that spot yeah. and just wait, just waited him out. And then when he popped up, I took the shot. So, you know, probably wouldn't have happened without that software.
0: Right. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I was going I thought I was going to say one more thing about about that but I, I obviously for access it's a, it plays a huge role. Um, what about optics? Do you think uh, optics plays a role, uh, has a huge role whether that is and you can even break it down because I you know a rifle is awesome but then you put a very high quality scope on that and now you're even becoming more accurate right? Like rifle scopes or uh, spotting scopes or binoculars, range finders. Do you think any of those types of optics played a role in, in people being more successful, whether that's for mature deer or for deer in general? Uh, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. I mean,
1: uh, again, just having to, you know, especially spot and stock type of stuff where, you know, when I've been out West and, and having the ability to spot them from, from a distance, you know, I mean, there's been times where, you know, if you're hunting, a good example is like I've hunted opener for North Dakota and it's usually pretty hot. You don't have a lot of opportunity. You, you know, you've got maybe an hour after sunrise and an hour before sunset where you're actually going to be able to spot them. You've got, still got leaves on the trees and stuff. So they got a lot of cover to hide in, Yeah, but being able to break out the spotting scope, and just grid off a hillside and then just start looking and and really diving into each little section of that hillside Um, i can't tell you how many antlers i've seen you know you know just just a little glint of an antler or or a flicker of an ear just looking through a spotting scope that i never would have seen not even with my binoculars you know so having that ability to really hone in you know, on a small section of a hillside and just stare at it for a minute and look for movement, yeah, most certainly uh, helps to identify that there's an animal
0: there, and, you know, then you can determine whether you're going to go in after it or not. Yeah, and that an uh, argument could then be made for a spotting scope or binoculars being better at acquiring game than a trail camera could be.
1: Hmm. That's a very interesting thought Um,
0: from, and I'll, I'll talk it out here. You know, obviously if I was to set a trail camera somewhere in South Dakota, wide open, way less trees, knowing how game move in some of those areas, uh, areas, there's probably not as many pinch points per se that these deer are moving through. They, they tend to travel, in the same types of areas, but they're more nomadic in their movements, right? They're not like a mm-hmm. whitetail here in Iowa that's bed-to-feed pattern every day for 30 days, right? They're going mm-hmm. over here, and then they're going over here, and then they're back on the other ridge. Wind direction plays a huge role in where these deer are movement, So I would probably be able to sit on a knob and glass up a deer before I could find a find some type of method Or area to put a trail camera that would Mm -hmm. allow me multiple pictures of these deer.
1: Yeah, I again, yeah, it's a it's a really good point that you make. And again, I guess it's a it's it's an argument as to whether you want something. You know, are you having something that's more passive that's kind of doing the work for you, or you know, again, if you have the ability to sit there and do it, most certainly, you know, to have binoculars in your hand and be you know, um, looking for them actively. Yeah, for, for sure. It would be more of an advantage over a trail camera. And and again, to your point too, I mean, I've heard, and I've read, um, some author or, you know, some experts say that a mule deer will never walk past the same tree twice, which I, I've honestly seen that happen multiple times. So, but to that point is, yeah, they're not as patternable you know they like you said they're more nomadic and they just they kind of wander and, and do and do their thing so um yeah I, having optics is most certainly an advantage over a trail camera I would say
0: yeah any other products out there that maybe we missed uh, and didn't talk about that are have huge impacts in how hunting has evolved
1: yeah i mean i would say you know and if so let's if you look at the bow right now um you know you could say obviously the uh invention of you know say like a drop away arrow rest for example or even even just a springy arrow rest um is definitely an advantage over you know trying to um bend an arrow around a riser you know what i'm saying so that most certainly gives you a lot more forgiveness uh, in your ability to shoot. It definitely extends your, uh, your range quite a bit, but that also goes hand in hand with all of the other technology as well. You know, yeah. the speed of the bow, the, the efficiency of the cams and, you know, the strength of the riser and, you know, just so many of those things all kind of coming together. But I think that's, that's a big thing that, um, I think should get some credit in that respect. and, yeah. and, Granted, I'm a little bit, uh, you know, biased in that we have, you know, our own arrow rest as well. But, um, you know, like I said, it goes hand in hand with a lot of different other things. Yeah. I mean, just the the materials that are put into a bow string have come a long ways too, and so obviously that's going to be
0: better than a cat gut string that you're going to use on a traditional bow. So yeah, how cool would it be to be able to time travel and take your current bow setup? back to the guy who's shooting the first bow and arrow ever to acquire food with it. And you, you guys go yeah. hunting together and he's taking these lob shots basically at 20 yards. And you're just like, you know, like going right <laughs> through them, these gigantic blood trails, you know, if you hit the lungs or the heart and things like that, Yeah, I that would be just to see this person's mind be blown would be, yeah, would be something fun to see. Um, I'm trying to think of an order now, right? Let me. I, I'm just going to throw out a, a couple random questions. Would you rather have a scope on your rifle or trail cameras? Hmm. Mm, mm, you have, mm. You can only pick one this upcoming hunting season. Which. What. Which one are you getting rid of? But I'm. Okay, as so many questions because yeah. so am I
1: I'm I'm hunting specific, even if I have those trail cameras, I'm hunting with a rifle without a scope.
0: Uh yeah. is that
1: yeah, so the scenario. Yeah,
0: so you know, let let's say you live in a state where you got one oh. archery tag, you have one rifle tag, okay? And that that's that's what you can hunt with in this upcoming season. You can still have your bow, you still have your rifle, but I I get to take away the thing that you don't want. And you can't use it. So, would you rather hunt with trail cameras, or would you rather hunt with a rifle scope? Uh, so, going going back to, okay, so let's say,
1: you know, meat is not of utter importance, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't necessarily need to have it. Yep. Um, I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with the bow and the trail cameras and. It, I guess the reason being is, well, one, I'm, I'm a terrible shot with a gun. I don't, I don't care what optics you put on that thing. I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm I'm missing, you know? Um, And so, uh, and then, and then two, just, I don't know, just for the fun of it, you know, I, you know, I hunted with a rifle for many years with my dad and granted, those are great times and had a wonderful time doing that. But the first time I took a deer with a bow, it, it's indescribable. It's, it's just different. Um, yeah. There's the, the more visceral experience. And then also, like I was saying, with the trail cameras too, it's kind of fun. It gets you kind of hyped up. Yeah. You can share the pictures with your buddies, you know, and it adds a social element to it. And, you know, so then knowing where the deer are going to be,
0: I'm going to go in with my bow and I'm going to make it happen that way. Gotcha. So, okay let's uh let's take a couple uh so you're even going as far as picking a bow over a gun uh in certain hunting scenarios
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay all right now yeah. let's let's do this trail camera or tree stand you got to pick you can only pick one
1: Hmm. Man, I love these
0: questions. These are great. Or saddle. Or like, okay, so tree tree stand or saddle or your trail cameras. Hmm.
1: So, and then, okay, so opposed to, okay, then I'm going to have to be on the ground. Yep. Uh, Oof. Man, that's a tough one. Um, Because my first thought is okay you know i'm i'm a skilled enough hunter to hunt from the ground where i feel like if i had the trail cameras then i know where i can sit yep and i can in in advance have a solid spot you know set up or Mm -hmm. or you know put up put a quick natural blind up uh just just knowing that i'm sitting in the right place uh would be huge for me you know because there's a there's all those there's so many times where you where i've done some you know just ground and pound right like you're just yeah. kind of on a whim going boy this here's a couple of trails that look like they might be good i think i'll set up 20 yards off of this yeah and you could sit there for four days and not see anything you know yeah. and then you're going okay did i pick the right spot did i not pick the right spot so and that you know there's the, always that struggle too like you're, you're just walking around you're like looking for the tree you want to sit in and you're and you're like hmm well i don't know i guess you get the analysis paralysis yeah. right where right. you're right you, you you can't pick a spot because you just you're you're to, you're doing too much thinking right so right. just being able to narrow down and knowing okay I know there's deer in this area and it doesn't have to be a trophy buck it's just I know there's actually deer moving through this
0: um this part of the woods and so that's where I want to sit i'm going to go with the trail camera on that one too okay so trail camera over tree stand trail camera over rifle scope trail camera versus onyx or hunt stand or that type of software Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this is for your whole year
0: this is for your whole year you on your western hunts right you're going back in public you can either have a trail camera for this season or you can have onyx for this season what are you picking yeah, that was the thing that immediately went through my head just before you said that
1: is knowing that I would want to, um, you know, be, be have the ability to go out west and and use that style of hunting. Um, I'm I'm gonna say uh, scouting software.
0: You're gonna you're gonna choose that over trail cameras. Yep. Okay. All right. So yep. trail cameras aren't as aren't as high on the list as I thought they were gonna be, uh, even though they. Uh, got picked. What about, is there a product that you would just, that you could not, let's, let's, let's keep it to bow hunting, right? Is there a product, maybe broadhead, maybe arrow, maybe uh, sight, maybe rest, right? Is there, are those all wrapped into one as bow hunting or is there certain products within bow hunting that you just could not could not hunt without
1: um man you know again it it could go so many ways but just to try to keep it broad and not not try to narrow it you know add you ask you too many questions about the specifics on it uh boy
0: hmm that's a good one. I had so a buddy. I had, ability. I had a buddy, who, when I first started shooting compound bows, okay, I would go. We would go to his backyard, and he actually did not have a sight on his bow. He had one of those mm. little finger rests that were pretty popular back in the day, right? Just the the yeah. little thing that stuck out. Put your bow there. The and wire. Then, yep. And then he had permanent marker dot lines on his riser that he put there and you could see where they would be alcohol rubbed out and then a new one right so he would get the dot to start and then he'd rub it out and then he'd put put that's and that's how that's how he shot and he was actually pretty good using that one my i can remember my first sight was one pin from the jankiest sight ever invented (laughs) right it looked like it was purchased at a Menard's and someone put it together. That's I mean it was heavy. It was made out of like stainless steel. It was horrible. Um But I feel like if you practice enough, you could get away with not even having a sight on your bow and be more of a feel shooter, mm-hmm. even with a compound, then because I, I feel like if you're gonna judge what's more important, a sight or a rest. I feel like a, a rest is probably more important than a sight. Expe- uh, yeah, On compound bows. On compound bows. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Yeah. And that's where I was getting kind of hung up because I did start to use that process of uh, uh, negation. Was that how you said negation? Is that how you said that? Um, basically the process of elimination there yeah, we go Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so sight was one of those things that I thought about but then I'm like okay but then there's all the other things right so yeah. what else can I not have you know what I mean so um, you know I think about a release right and oh, yeah. uh, I would have to have one right now I mean if I didn't I, I don't think I could shoot accurately. I mean, there's, there's, I'm sure everybody's had this moment where you get in the tree and you don't have your release and you're yeah. like, what? Oh shoot. What do I do? Yeah. And I've, I've, it, I've had it happen a couple of times. And the only reason I didn't get out of the tree right then and there is because I didn't want to run the chance of, you know, uh, spooking a deer, bumping a deer, but otherwise I'm pretty much just like, I'm not shooting, you know, so I'm just kicking it here in the, and I'm bird watching for the morning. Yeah. And so that's another one of those things where, boy, it'd be tough to, it'd be tough to live without. But like you were saying too, there, it's like a combination of things that, um, I, I don't think there's just one thing that I can be without. It, it's a, it's a combination of things that I would need to, that I would need to have. Yeah.
0: What about camo? Could you go a season without camo? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's a, sure. That's an easy one. That's, yeah, that's an yeah. Easy it's. One.
1: I I've seen more. I mean, you know, and even even just like way back in the day, you know. Um, uh, I had a me and a, another guy started a company called Pit My Bow, and so we would just color colorized bows we basically take bows in strip them down take the whatever finishes on them camel oftentimes and we would either re-dip them in camel for some people but we had some bows that were bright red blue Mm -hmm. and taking those bows out in in the woods and being successful with them and and then not only that but you just you know solids are becoming more popular especially like out west and those types of situations i don't doubt that camo does help break you up um, I think there's an advantage to that uh, when it comes to movement. Uh, but I could I, I wouldn't be too afraid to just be up in a tree in a solid as long oh, as yeah. it's not. as long as I'm not sitting
0: there with blue or yellow, I'm, I'm feeling all right. Yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this was a fun conversation, man. I really appreciate you taking, I don't know if we covered anything per se, but that's why we call these BS (laughs) sessions, right? It's like, Hey dude, what what would you do, man? It's like, this was a conversation that took place over the course of like a, a 10 hour drive somewhere. Right. It's like, yeah, wait a second. Would you really hunt without this? Or would you really hunt? I will say this going back to trail cameras and I want to end it this way. Without, tra- like, trail cameras have had the biggest impact on, on how I hunt and what my goals are every year as far as mature whitetails. Mm-hmm. You take yeah. you take that away from me, I feel like my goals would would be forced to be changed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I have to go into properties not knowing what's there, assuming that if I pass a 3-year-old, I'm going to get a shot at a 4-year-old. There might not be any 4-year-olds there. Five-year-olds, right? Am I going to be passing the first? Am I going to be passing one forties now, or am I going to be shooting one forties now, right? Yeah. And so trail mm-hmm. cameras for me have had the biggest impact on what I chase every year. And uh, you take that away from me, and I'm—I feel like I'm a completely different hunter after that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would—I would agree. And and again, for me, so much of it is just part of the fun of it as yeah. well, oh, yeah. you know. And I think you know, one of the things is if we're looking at recruiting more hunters in some cases, and I, I'm kind of trying to figure that out if that's something that we really need to do or not. But, um, you know, cause especially you get out on public land and it's like, Holy cow, do we really need more hunters? Now, where are you guys coming from?
0: <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. But, um, But at the same time, you know, uh, our business relies on that too. And so again, just talking with that friend of mine and the excitement that I saw in his eyes and on his face about having the ability to see what's going on and, you know, just, and even just, just knowing, you kind of create this like relationship with these animals. Um, and, and again, it's just, and, and there's so much more to it, right? Like, yeah. I, I mean, I even think about, you know, that whitetail, your whitetail that you got this year, you know, and just, and you were, you were jazzed, man. You were stoked. And it's not your, it's not your first rodeo. Right. You know what I mean? You've done this how many times, right? But just right. that, that is what's huge. And if we can, you know what if there's a tool that we can use to get more people out there and doing that then we can also get more people on our side understanding why we do this exactly um because it, i fear that you know we're, we're kind of headed in, in, a, in a scary place where um we may not have the ability to do this anymore yeah. and I, I i hate that idea i don't like i mean if there's so much more satisfaction in me pulling a, a, a you know, a venison backstrap out of my freezer than going to the grocery store and wondering where that stuff came from. So, uh, so I, I, fear that happens. And I think the more we can educate people by getting uh, new people involved and understand, because you just don't, you, you you're not going to understand it unless you do it. Right. So right. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense.
0: Well, Rick, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and be with us a little bit. Um, yeah that was fun you going turkey hunting this spring oh yeah yep
1: i'm i'm excited i can't wait Um, it, it can't come soon enough so i've already got some plans to get out and do that perfect all right man you have a good one and thanks again yeah man thanks a lot appreciate it that was a lot of fun